want you to listen. There's a power in not reading, not being distracted, just listen. Our teens have been wrapped around the Sermon on the Mount, some of them more than others. And Jacob Bell is going to lead us through the Beatitudes. Just listen. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecute the prophets who are before you. Amen. And in case you didn't notice that, he memorized that. Um, it's kind of, it's not kind of cool. It's wonderful when they absorb it early, isn't it? Uh, there is a, there's a real benefit to absorbing it early. You know, it improves your life and like, plus you're not going to absorb it late. Uh, you get to a certain point, you can't remember the Beatitudes or where you parked. So <laughs> get it in now. That's important. When I was a boy, you know, dinosaurs roamed the earth. The earth hadn't sufficiently cooled at the point. But I, when I was a boy, it always amazed me what was left out of the Jesus story. Because Jesus makes his appearance in this world then there's a gap, a gap of about 11 years or so. Then he shows up at the temple, then another gap of about 19 years. Many people have tried to fill that gap. There are lots of books out there that will tell you what Jesus did in the gaps, and they're all made up. Every single one of them is made up. There is no evidence or writing of anything to fill these gaps. But then we see him. He appears again. Walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, there's some people out there fishing. He says, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they drop their nets, and they follow him. And that amazed me. Who would do that? Stranger walks in, says, come on, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I have no idea what that is, but let's drop the nets and go. It was years before I realized, people don't do that for a stranger. Jesus had prepared them. Jesus had grown up among them. He lived there. He had a ministry there. He had a reputation there. This wasn't a stranger throwing out something weird to them. The ground of their heart had been prepared for that moment. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people, oh, by the way, when the Bible says Syria, it doesn't mean necessarily the place we know of Syria. We put old names on modern boxes and on maps. It just means the region. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him. He had prepared the ground. I want you to get that phrase in your head because that's what the Beatitudes are all about. A prepared ground. He prepared the ground in their heart 
before he offered the call. There is a lot of virtue signaling going on, and it does a lot. Let me explain what I mean by that, and I, I will upset some by what I'm about to say, but you know, my job is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, so I'm, I'm, I'll be right there doing it, right? The, the events in Charlottesville yesterday were uh, appalling on every point, uh, no matter how you look at it. Am I surprised? No. You can always find Nazis. Now, we, we haven't run out of them. And they're going to show up sometime and act like they're big and act like they're more important than they really are. They're a small, pitiful little group who believe r myths about race. Uh, there's no need to give them more attention than that. And so, people on Facebook were firing, preachers better be preaching against this tomorrow. People, if we were, if, if you, if I had been your minister for three and a half years, and you still were a white supremacist, I've already failed. I'm not going to be able to, to move you much. And so people want us to signal virtue. And so everybody on Facebook had to say the same thing. And everybody on Twitter had to say it in the same way. So I did a test. Because this will surprise some of you. I'm kind of a contrarian. So I just put up on Twitter, the greatest command is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It's hard to do that when marching and shouting. That seems simple, doesn't it? I got attacked by people that said, are you, uh, who are you talking about? The Nazis or the counter-protesters? And I wasn't signaling the way they signal. I wasn't saying the way they say it. Virtue signaling is another way of a herd mentality to get you, don't think, just say what we say the way we say it, and you'll be all right. Huh. Somebody asked me, wouldn't you be marching against them? Probably not. You know why? The ground of their heart is not prepared. It would make no difference to them. It doesn't change things. It makes you feel better. It's kind of like magnetic stickers, and don't, I'm not opposed to magnetic stickers, but if you have a magnetic sticker and, you, and I'm opposed to it, how do I show it? You know, I, it, I can't put a magnetic sticker up there saying I'm opposed to them. But remember all the bows. They started for our military, then they went for breast cancer, then they went for autism, then they went for the Humane Society. We had all kinds of bows. And you almost had to signal that, no, I'm one of you. I, I'll put that up there too. Watch the herd mentality of the world. Jesus said something very hurtful. He said it's useless to cast pearls before swine. Now, does Jesus think we're swine? No. But he thinks our hearts can be pretty piggish. And it's not helpful to throw your pearls before somebody before the ground has been prepared. This morning I got up, walked into the backyard to pull some fresh tomatoes and ears of corn. There weren't any. I don't have a garden. <laughs> My neighbor does, but they keep a keen watch. <laughs> I have found. It doesn't matter what I want. I didn't prepare the ground. Sometimes you have to wait until the ground is prepared and not be surprised that there are sinners in the world. I told my kids early, they saw something, I won't describe it, they just saw it and they looked at me. I said, you need to know this now. God made plenty of idiots. We are not going to run out of idiots. 
and everybody gets a turn being the idiot. Don't let it shock you. Wait. There were times Jesus did things and said, don't tell anybody I did this. Why? Ground wasn't prepared. Don't tell anybody who I am. Why? Ground wasn't prepared. We want it instant. We're a nation that stands in front of the microwave going, come on. It doesn't work like that. We need to prepare the ground and be patient. And when all the world is saying, you'd better be saying it like us, you don't have to. We have a different king. We're going to wait till the ground is prepared, and we're going to spend our time preparing the ground. That's why I tell you things such as love people until they ask you why. Love people till they follow you home. And you do that. You are brilliant at that. Jesus prepared the ground. Think of what he did. Think of what God did all the way back in the garden, preparing the ground, walking with us, giving us a place, special relationship. Yep, the devil broke that up. But God then stepped in and said, there's going to be a seed of woman. And the devil's going to hurt him badly. He's going to bruise his heel. You ever had a bruised heel? Bad foot? You remember it every step you take. It's going to hurt him. But Jesus is going to deliver a death blow to the devil. It's going to take the devil a long time to die from it, but he's going to do it. Let's prepare the ground. Then the prophets came. And they gave us a heads up concerning the Messiah that was coming. And if you want to look at one condensed chapter of that, Go to Isaiah 53, brilliant chapter. A lot of people read that at the communion service because it really fits. Isaiah 53. Then flash forward to, to Bethlehem. We get angelic choruses coming. And, and I've said this before, and you might get tired of hearing it, but you're not through. It just stuns me that when God shows up, he doesn't say, right, lads, you've messed it up. I'm sorting you out. You might not say it in the Scottish, but you know what I mean. You're not going to say it in American either. <laughs> it amazes me that he shows up and says, peace, peace. I have your best at heart. You, you may not realize it, but I really want the best from you. Goodwill, best for you, rather. Peace on earth. Good, I mean, nothing could have been more shocking than that. And then Jesus climbs a hill and begins his sermon. The one we call the Sermon on the Mount, and he continued this theme of getting your hearts prepared for what's going to happen next. He says, I've come to bring you freedom, peace, joy, and it might not look like the kind of joy you were expecting, but it's real. It's long-lasting, solid. It even lasts through the dark times of pain, suffering, loneliness, occupation, foreign occupation, and loss. Look at John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. How long had God been preparing our hearts for this? Can we, can we be very blunt? There are some people that are on vacation and they come to the beautiful town of Franklin and it is beautiful. It's a blessing to live outside of it, not able to afford it, but it's still a blessing uh, to live in the area, right? And they decide, oh, there's a church of Christ. Let's go there on Sunday morning. And they walk in, and they are not prepared. They are not prepared. Young lady cutting my hair this week is looking for a, a church. She might be here this morning. Uh, and we talked about this, and she said, where do you go? And I told her, and I said, but let me tell you a couple things about this. And by the time the haircut was over, she said, 
I'm glad you said that because that was not my impression of what Church of Christ was. Well, some people rejoice in that. Some people walk out. Why? They're not prepared for it. You know what? That's fine. I understand that. Good part of my life, I would have walked out too because I hadn't been prepared. Let's give everybody the grace God has given us. In my life, I have undoubtedly had racist thoughts and said racist things. I've undoubtedly said sexist things and had sexist thoughts, not even realizing they were sexist. Somebody told me. I went, oh, really? Sorry? I had grace, time, and teachers to get where I am. If you see somebody who's not where you are, maybe they have not had the grace, time, and teachers you've had. So let's prepare the ground. Let's show them Jesus. We saw last week, Jesus intends for you to listen and obey. This isn't just having warm, fuzzy thoughts about God. He demands a change in your life. If you do not, as we saw, you're like somebody that builds their house on the wrong foundation. So when the storms come, away goes your house. And obedience is part of the, of the package. We cannot forget that. Even though we, we rejoice in salvation by grace through faith, obedience is part of it. And so every day, I hear the question from Jesus that he asked the fishermen, will you follow me? Will you drop what you're doing and follow me? Is my heart prepared for that on a particular day? And honestly, some days I find out it isn't. My heart's too full of anger or hurt or me, 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 me. I need to pull some rocks out of the field. I need to get some weeds out of the field. I need to do some gardening so I can reap from the garden. You can look at Galatians chapter 5 for a, a gardening metaphor. I mean, we want to grow the fruits of the Spirit. Well, there are weeds that will choke out those fruits. How much, where are the weeds in us? This is a time of self-examination, by the way. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. We're all in this together. All of us struggle with this. Who is going to help us get out of this? Well, the same one that is preparing our hearts is the new Moses to bring us through. I want to explain that. Uh, if you'll put up this, the, the slide with all the citations there, you might want to take a picture of that, or you can go online because Laurie Lee is brilliant about posting the notes as well. Everything we do online is free, by the way. I'm aware that a lot of places will charge you to download. We don't do that. We, we got this free, so we're going to give it to you free. That said, those are just some of the parallel passages that Matthew does to show the Jews Jesus is the new Moses. That's his theme. He's big on that. This is on purpose. Moses led them out of bondage to a place of freedom where they had to fight for every inch of it. Jesus is going to lead us as well through the desert all the way to a place he has prepared for us. He is the new Moses. We need to prepare our hearts. So you heard it. I'd like for us to read this together in unison. The Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. The words of the Lord. This is Jesus' list of the good guys. These are the good guys. He'll list the bad guys in chapter 23. But if you don't want to go there, Luke lists the bad guys in the middle of his version of this sermon. It seems to have been a different sermon because Luke says he walked down to level ground and said to them, but it's a lot of the same stuff. In Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 20, looking at the disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. That's, that's real joy there. Because great is your reward in heaven, for that's how your, their ancestors treated the prophets. Now, he adds woes. He gives a list of the bad guys. Woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you'll go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that's how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Woe. Is it a sin to eat well or laugh? Of course not. No. He is speaking here of people who find their comfort in that and not in God. Who find their assurance in that and not in God. To say, I love God because I ate well today. And I'm rich, therefore he likes me. What happens when you're poor and hungry? Remember what the devil said. The devil said, God, if you turn off the blessings, they will turn off their faith. That's the book of Job. So Job says, can I receive good and not evil from the hand of God? Where will I be in the dark times? Since Mark's hobby is gold or golf, um, there's, there's, a, there's a thing golfers are told to do in their head. And I, I know golf stories are the most boring things in the world, so don't worry, it's not going to be enough. You have a score you aim for, which is called par which is not it, it par in the Scottish parlance when we made it, it was our game, blame us, was only for experts. Bogey was the score we expected good golfers to get. But there's a thing. They say, to see how you're doing and to get better, play your course and see how far you get before you hit par. Everybody hits par before they hit the end of the course. And they say, try to make it a little bit further each time. I thought of that when I read Lucy Lend Hogan, she says, start reading the Sermon on the Mount and notice when the nodding stops. Now think about this, because we're reading, yeah, 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 woo. Where does the nodding stop? That will show you 
where your ground has been prepared and where it has not been prepared. When you get to a certain point, by the way, if you're, one, if you're thinking, mine never stop, you haven't read it. <laughs> go read it. Your nodding will stop. Sometime there, you're going to go, oh, I found a weed. I found a rock. I found a place that needs to be cleared. And that rock might be so heavy, I need other people to help me clear it. To get that out of my life. Notice when the nodding stops. And then try to live our life to where the nodding stops later in the story. We hear the opening, you don't get commands, but you get this is the kind of people you are. This is the kind of people you should be open to. This is the kind of people God pays attention to. Now, Jesus is going to make some serious, you read through this, he's going to make some serious demands on your time, your money, your thought life, your emotions. So when does the nodding stop? Jesus had prepared the ground. God had done it. There's a lot of the Sermon on the Mount back in the Old Testament. In particular, in Leviticus 26 and 27, and Deuteronomy 28. But we could find a lot in, in, in Isaiah as well. Those who live under the grace of God and stay where he is and stay prepared to receive are blessed. Those who walk out are not. That echoes through the wisdom literature of Proverbs, Psalms, and Ecclesiastes. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Amen, church? And in whose spirit is no deceit. That looks like prepared ground. That looks like the hard work has been done. Some of the Beatitudes mention those that are in a bad place. They're mourning or they're poor in spirit. Why are they blessed? This is where it's so hard for me not to get excited and bore you to death with a grammar lesson. But the tenses matter. The tenses of these. The bookend blessings are 5.3 and 5.10. And there it says they are blessed. They are happy. In the middle, everyone says you will be. You will receive it. So, what is he saying? He's saying that those who face injustice or loss or pain in the present age are already blessed because they already have the kingdom of heaven. Salvation is not something you might get one day. If you've been baptized into Christ, you have eternal life and salvation right now. It is not a gift for later. You've got it now. The blessing of God and His promises then ensure that that middle section, we will lift you up. You will be all right. In verses 11 and 12, which, by the way, are not considered part of the Beatitudes, but more of a wrap-up and transition passage, God, uh, Jesus uses both tenses. Look at the tenses in Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you, present, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You're blessed now. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. That's the future. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're blessed now, and we're blessed then. That's what the Beatitudes are trying to get into us, and it's hard to do this. He's laying out markers for the rest of his ministry. He will stay in that, those lanes the rest of his ministry. And he wants his followers to stay there too. 
He's not calling on us to mourn or become poor. Instead, he's saying, notice those who are, walk with them, care for them, show them that they are blessed now with you, and they will be blessed later by God. Stop for them. Pay attention to them. By placing verses 11 and 12 there about persecuting, about persecution, he's also giving you a little flair. You follow this and people are going to go after you. Some of them are going to go after you in the name of Jesus, but without his authority. It's, think of it this way. If I were to show up to your door this afternoon, knock on it and say, open up in the name of the police. Almost said polis. <laughs> That's what we call them. Uh, the police. You don't have to open up because I'm not the police. I have no authority to that. So if you live your life for Jesus Christ and somebody comes at you in the name of Christ to correct you, you don't have to pay attention. They don't have authority. You're following Jesus. You're right there in the lanes of the Beatitudes. Keep walking. Jesus blesses those who no one else blessed. Scott McKnight said this, and I thought it was a quote worth sharing. A blessed person is someone who, because of a heart for God, is promised and enjoys God's favor regardless of that person's status or countercultural condition. Just look at that for a while. Blessed in spite of. That's the lesson of Job, is it not? It's also the lesson of Jesus. Jesus didn't always get his prayers answered. Most famously, the prayer in John 17 has not yet been answered, has it? That we would all be united in him. He's waited a long time for that prayer. And yet he stayed faithful. And he says, follow me. As we begin to hit the exit ramp for this, who gets to say in this world? I know they will say, in the name of the law, in the name of Jesus, in the name of... Who gets to say what is right or wrong? Who gets to say what is sin or not? Who gets to say who is blessed by God and who is not? The answer to all three questions is a song you've sung today. Jesus, only Jesus. No wonder then that people at the end of this sermon were stunned and even amazed. Chapter 7 when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Because he has authority. Because he's not like the teachers. You listen to him. There are times that I will tell people at the store or something, have a blessed day. What do I mean by that? I don't mean... May you have a wonderful day where everything flows your way and bunnies and butterflies follow you home. Which would actually be a little freaky. I hope they have a wonderful day. I hope they have a lovely day. But that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, have a day where you never stray from the will of God. Have a day where you never leave the garden. Have a day where you never stop preparing the ground for what God's going to do next in you. Be blessed because you're in his presence and you have prepared the ground. Would you stand, please? You might want to go back later and just look at the songs we sang today. Mark has been, is, is just brilliant at seeing my notes and picking the right songs. 
Be blessed. By that, I don't mean everything goes your way. You've heard that. Be blessed. Be a kingdom person who lives knowing you've already received eternal life. You've already received the kingdom. And we live in faith that the rest will come. For we are a now and a future people who are blessed now and in the future. Amen, church? Then let us love one another until they too come into the garden of God.